Dateline, Brownsville, Texas. Hmm. A Texas man has been sentenced to 50 years in prison for stealing $1.2 million worth of fajitas over nine years. <laughs> over nine years? Yeah. 53-year-old Gilberto Escamilla was sentenced Friday after pleading guilty to theft by a public servant. The Brownsville Herald reports he told the court the fajita scheme spun out of control. He'd been intercepting fajitas that he ordered through the Cameron County Juvenile Center where he worked and delivering them to his own customers. <laughs> oh, he has his own place? He does. He has his own joint, I guess. Maybe a food cart. Interesting. Okay. This is how he's discovered. His scam was uncovered when he missed work for a medical appointment. <laughs> and an 800-pound fajita delivery arrived at the center, which doesn't serve fajitas. <laughs> I mean, part come on. <laughs> honestly, part of me was hoping that you would say that during his routine physical, like his pockets were just <laughs> filled with beans and like peppers and stuff. He's like, I'm the heist is up. <laughs> well, you're not far from it. He was arrested uh, or he was actually fired in August and arrested after authorities checked vendor invoices and obtained a search warrant that uncovered county-funded fajitas in his refrigerator. Oh, so CFF are the best fajitas. <laughs> <laughs> you can taste the county funding. <laughs> well, here, I've got another one. Okay. And and so while you're while you're thinking about this, that sense, kind of put yourself in the fajita guy's shoes and, and get how that do you feeling. get there? Yeah, how do yeah. you get there? Okay. And what do you feel when they knock on your door and say, Give us the fajitas? Uh, yeah. when I as I tell you that feds say overwhelmed mailman stashed seventeen thousand pieces of mail in his house. He uh, is oh, in New no. York City, charged after law enforcement officials discovered more than 17,000 pieces of undelivered mail in his possession. According to a criminal complaint, apparently uh, somebody walked by his, this car, his Nissan, and said and called the authorities and said, look, there's like eight full blue federal bags of undelivered <laughs> oh, mail in this guy's <laughs> Nissan. Oh, and, man. In Brooklyn, and you need to find that out. And so they looked and they found that uh, next to the address uh, or, or next to where this this Nissan was reported, uh, the only postal worker that lived even close to that was this guy. Uh, and he he said he was just <laughs> this is what he said. Uh, he was just overwhelmed by the amount of mail that he had to deliver. Uh, but he said and so he just uh, wouldn't sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And so he said, I, I don't don't worry. I made sure to deliver the important mail. He said, oh, sure. Because <laughs> they're they're marked as such. <laughs> the ones in the good envelopes. Yeah. <laughs> he said they found 10,000 pieces of mail in his car, a thousand pieces in his locker and 6000 more pieces in his apartment. Um, and, and he's released on bail. They have no no oh, so you kind of put yourself in those in those shoes and and think about what is it that gets you there uh this this sense of overwhelm and anxiety that has to come with your life taking that particular turn in the yeah. case of the fajita thing that was active like he just he was actively stealing meats right and, and reselling them and that clearly went out of control when his business actually boomed maybe you'd think he'd start ordering his own meat but he didn't so <laughs> that's fine this other thing you can you can kind of think about the feeling that comes with oh my god i can't get all this mail delivered i am in way over my head i'm going to start making little decisions that lead to bigger decisions that lead to bigger decisions and uh, he is, as it happens, not alone. The American Psychological Association has released a poll, the results of a poll uh, that says 
the year's national anxiety score derived by mean scores on a scale of 0 to 100 is 51. That is a five-point jump since just 2017. Two-thirds of respondents say they're extremely or somewhat anxious, particularly leading the way about paying bills and their expenses. They get behind and uh, yep. they discover that they are in financial distress. Uh, they want to keep their jobs. They're worried about losing their jobs. I'm thinking about our poor mail, mail delivery person right. who is in over his head. I'm thinking about somebody who is struggling to make ends meet and makes terrible decisions about fajita meat. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm worried about these people. I am worried about us collectively. Uh, more than 56% of people uh, who responded said that this sort of financial and employment uh, anxiety leads the charge yeah. around their stuff. Now, Oof. looking out for us, Tom, you and me in particular, identifying as men, mm. it turns out that women are more anxious than men. So yeah. there you go. Oh, we win? We're less anxious than women. <laughs> Is that a Woo! is that a thing we, we can count are, as a win? I don't know. I don't. Maybe sure. I yeah. like that idea. I, <laughs> what if the what if the post person was a female? Oh, she'd be driving. She'd be going up the wall. That that's not good. That feeling. I can't imagine stealing a bunch of hitas or hiding so much mail. But the anxious part of me does cling on to the idea of how much anxiety must have been there as his car yeah. is filling up with his job. Yeah, and God. his house and his locker like it's just yeah. everywhere like he's not he's not good at stashing he's he knows no. that he's not this it was is going not even to stashed end. it's in his stinking pathfinder that's not hidden right. this is just a guy <laughs> taking his work home with him literally oh. every day for years. years a lot of people the first thing is to laugh at a story like that which makes sense but yeah. i always sort of empathize with the it must have been like the walls are closing in yeah yeah so much and it probably doesn't help that it's it involves fajita meat or mail because both of those are kind of <laughs> they're funny, like silly. They're funny I'm things. So, yeah, so sorry that those things are so funny because this is a very real issue and clearly documented. It bears out in the survey, and uh, I so I I have no like I have no lesson on this one, Tom. I have no Ooh. lesson. It only gets worse if I keep talking. So I think I should stop. <laughs> are we just gonna call it? <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, everybody. We're on our own. <laughs> Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. Every week, we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out to us, guys. Now is the time, and we love hearing from you. A lot of you have been sending emails. You've been sending some voice memos, all this stuff. We love hearing it, and a lot of it is going to go into the show. So send us the story of your anxieties to something stinky at rashpixel.fm. Again, Something stinky at rashpixel.fm. We are here waiting for you. And with that creepiness, I will go first. Pete, this is the big one for me. Yeah. 
people might know or might not that we keep our anxieties that we're going to share each episode secret from each other yeah. until we talk about them. Same with the cold open at the opening. So it's always going to be an adventure together. But I did let you know what I was going to be talking about for this episode. It's yeah. the biggest one for me. It's my biggest irrational fear and phobia. Let's go ahead and just call it what it is. It is myrmecophobia. 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 M-Y-R-M-E-C-O-P-H-O-B-I-A. I like how okay. long it took me to spell phobia. Myrmecophobia. Myrmecophobia. It is the inexplicable fear of ants. Pete. Now, you know, I feel like there's a little bit of backstory because I didn't just learn this as a result of our experience doing this particular show. That I have a fear of ants? Yeah. No, right. I learned this. How did you learn it? Do you remember Oh, I remember very clearly. It's the first time I knew that you even had phobias. We, For those who don't know, uh, Tom and I are also uh, partners on a, a different show, a, a movie show called The Next oh, Reel. Right. And <laughs> one of the movies that we reviewed as a group on that show was uh, Ant-Man. Yeah. And you were scheduled to do that show. And I guess you were feeling particularly bold when you agreed to, to do that show. But I remember... <laughs> Uh, about 20 minutes after I knew you had gone into the movie, you texted all of us and said, nope, I won't be there. I literally just walked out of the movie Ant-Man because of its relationship to ants. <laughs> I did. Can I tell you the story super quick? Let's just, sure. This doesn't need to be, this ant thing, researching this has been a disaster because <laughs> everything just has pictures. It's all pictures of yeah. ants and there's never just an ant like chilling. It's a thousand of them and they're always swarming. They're always <laughs> swarming. Let's get back to that in a second. So I'm fine to keep this loosey goosey so I don't have a, a panic attack or so, start hyperventilating into my mic. But uh, yeah, with Ant-Man, I didn't realize that he had because I'm not a comic book person, I didn't realize that he palled around with ants. I thought he just got small like an ant and could lift things. So I went and saw the movie, and it was a it was opening day, and it was packed theater. And I was sitting next to a family of three. It was a father and two, I assume his two children. There will be a reason why I brought them up. And about, let's say, 15 minutes into it, for those, it doesn't matter if you've seen the movie or not, there's a scene of a video camera that someone who can control ants has swarmed ants over the lens so no one can see it. This is 15 <laughs> minutes into a movie where you're not allowed to talk in movies. And I involuntarily go, Ugh. I make that noise. Not even knowing that I made it, the father who I'm seeing, the father, son, son, and me, he sort of like looks over at me and like gathers his sons a little bit closer <laughs> with his arm. And then a good ugh, eternity later, at some point, it's probably what was like 20 minutes, 20 yeah, minutes in, he's like the Ant-Man character. Paul Rudd is palling around with ants and they're introducing each other and he meets something called crazy ants. I don't remember. I didn't really get to the end of it, but he's like petting an ant because he's small. And I was like, oh, I can do this. This is fine. And then all of a sudden he gets swarmed by ants and it was not a bit. It was not a joke. I literally just involuntarily yelled, nope, stood up. I was in the middle of the th stood up and just walked out being quiet, ducking. But I was like, I can't I can't do this. And for the next hour, I was patting at my arms and my legs. <laughs> so the you, psychosomatic feeling oh. that I have about ants is that strong that I was feeling like I had ants on me when clearly I wouldn't because I'm a human in a civilian of just had ants on me 
the entire time. The movie Ant-Man, as a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think it's it's safe to say there were very few actual ants in this movie. Like they're I wouldn't all, know. Com- they're all computer ants, right? They're computer ants. And you are a rational uh, adult uh, and normal sort of a- adult, but there is something in your head about just the, even if you know that this is a cartoon movie with a bunch of cartoon ants, it still impacts you like that. They look pretty real, Pete. That's what CGI does. <laughs> CGI doesn't put up stick figures. They tried to make them look exactly like ants, and so they might as well be ants. Okay, so that's fair. All right, so what have you learned? I'd like to bring up something that we'll dovetail into later. I'd like to introduce you to someone, Pete. Okay. Her name is Joan Murray. She was born in 1955. She lived most of her adult life in Charlotte, North Carolina. She worked as a manager for a Bank of America. That sounds nice, right? Sure. Just sort of a normal, everyday life. Yeah, we're going to get back to her in a bit, Pete, and I wish her a lot of luck. (laughs) All right, back to me. Moving to me, and we will come back to Joan, but back to me, one of the questions is always, uh, when I did uh, some research, is of course it's based in something that happened to you in the past. Yeah. Um, I do have a story about that. Night games. Remember Hideaway Lake? In the episode where I talked about lakes, when you lost all of your possible... I wasn't crazy about it. Yeah. (laughs) It's in Texas, my uh, late grandmother and grandfather's uh, sort of retirement community. Um, Well, they also lived on a golf course. And at night, all of my cousins and uncles would play something called night games. Basically, um, we one team of cousins and uncles would hide somewhere on the golf course in the pitch black. The other team would try to find them with flashlights. I don't know. This is what families do. But again, this is Texas, and at one point I was the person that was hiding, and I laid down and was peering over a small hill on the golf course, trying to find uh, the people that were trying to catch me, when all of a sudden, my chest and back started bursting into pinpricks of pain. Oh, no. Um, All over the place. It was like a dozen matches, I guess, being put out on my skin, is how I would. And so I jumped up, started screaming, I ripped off my shirt, and fled into the house, to this day, I assume that I laid down in a fire ant hill because that's what I, I think that's Texas's main export is yeah. fire, fire ants and like huge fly swatters. Anyways, <laughs> we never found any ants on me, but there were a lot of red marks. Uh, so that makes sense of why I had a fear. I laid down in an anthill like a real jerk, right? Yeah, I guess. But I'm surprised you didn't find ants on you. Well, I'm more surprised at the fact that my ant phobia started before that. <laughs> I can't remember not having an ant phobia in my life. I've yeah. always been squirrely about them. And so I, unless there's something else that I can't remember, it's like a, a child child. Cause this is the night games when I got bit by all of those, I guess, invisible ants would have been, you know, an elementary school or something like that. But either way, my phobia is so strong, it goes back in time, even before I had a reason to care about it. It's like that experience just cemented what you already knew as truth. Right. Ants I think it was horrible. just, it, yeah. it was God being like, you're on the right course. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it up, Tommy. Ants are devils. <laughs> it's the fact that they're so small. They're so okay. small, and there are a zillion of them all the time. And they're so tiny, oh, they can fit anywhere. Yeah. I don't even know what that means, but they can fit anywhere, Pete. And if they start biting, it's like death of a million paper cuts. And as I've already said, all they do is swarm. (laughs) How is not? I actually I look at my own phobia and I have it is strong enough that I I wonder how do other people not have this? Yeah. Weird, right? Because it is. I mean, spiders kill people. 
Scorpions kill people. Ants can kill people. Oh, Joan, we're coming back to you. But the point is that... No, I'm just kidding. See, there's going to be a twist. Don't worry about it. Oh, (laughs) man. But the point is that, I mean, it's just so viscerally terrifying and horrifying. It actually bridges the gap between horror and terror that even talking about it right now, I am starting to uh, move around a little bit in my seat. And I am every once in a while, I just realize scratching my arms. Because I'm starting to feel things right now. Uh, As far as other experiences with me uh, about ants, I have been so lucky to never actually have ants anywhere that I lived, meaning in my house or in my apartment. I've lived in a couple apartments here in the Los Angeles area. All of my friends have had an ant infestation at some point. I've never had one. And I think that's because someone that's in charge of the universe knows that I will burn the entire city (laughs) to the ground. (laughs) No one's getting out alive. If I have ants in my kitchen, it's done. I will make a flamethrower, strap it to Foster, and we will go to town. (laughs) So Uh, as someone, I assume you do not suffer from this at all. Most people do not. Most people. Well, okay. There are things about ants that creep me out. And in okay. particular, you talk about the, the swarming behavior. That, that mm. absolutely creeps me out uh, because ants individually are dumb, right? They just right. follow smells and eat stuff. That's, that's what they want you to think. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, right. right. And then they <laughs> go back to writing their novel. So right. I, I, I have no problem with individual ants. But when I see ants that actually, you know, when I, when I think about the sort of AI that exists in ants, right, the small sort of behavioral checks, the little tests that they run and then pass on to one another through chemicals, and then suddenly their behavior changes, is able to change and alter and evolve, uh, that I'm not, I'm not happy about, about that sure. in particular. Um, sure. You like them to keep in their little ant boxes, like stay in your yeah. lane, ants. Yes, yeah, stay in your yeah. lane, ants. You've got leaves, trees, fine. Go live there. We had <laughs> a um, we had an infestation in our house of carpenter ah! ants. And, carpenter ants are they good or bad? Ants? Well, they're they're not good because they're they, all bad. They but... eat wood, right? They they eat the wood that your house is made of, and in one case, they what? actually that's what termites do. Yeah, they, we already have a thing that does that, right? Yeah. Uh, so they they actually came up through the windowsill in our kitchen. And so now we have and, and they're big, right? They're big black ants. And they came up uh, through the like the seal between the countertop and the wall where the of course they, they can meet. fit through there because they're they ants through, and they're yes, the worst. Yeah. And they came through. A lot of them came through, Tom. A lot. A lot of these ants came through all at once. Why over are you the telling course. me this story? <laughs> Can you hear me shaking to, my head? Yeah, I Why have are to you tell you this story. So we're talking about ants, man. We have to face right. it. We have to Do face we? it. Go ahead. And my ahead. in-laws were there. And so I'll never forget. We were in there just crushing ants, like all of us taking turns. Ah! It felt like uh, that scene in Arachnophobia, you know, where this, the spiders come to the house oh. at the end of, yeah. to get Jeff Daniels. That's what it felt like to me. They were everywhere. We had to have somebody come out. They drill holes in the walls. They tried it. And they don't actually take the ants away. I wanted them to come and take the ants away. Why do you call somebody? And have them take not take the ants away, and their no. whole no, they don't do that. They're because of ants and their AI. They oh. they cover the ants in powder, and the powder it slowly poisons them. They have to carry the powder back to the nest, and eventually mm-hmm. that behavior I have a real problem with. But actually, seeing ants, I'm 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 generally okay. If I see one, I tend to act fairly quickly, uh, and I get somebody out to the house because one means ten thousand. You know, Ugh. that you just can't yeah. see. And that in if they're in the walls, uh, I, ah! 
I have a real problem <laughs> with the ants in the walls. They actually, I can <laughs> hold on. God. <laughs> just these weird phrases, ants in the walls. I no kidding, just looked around. I just <laughs> involuntarily looked around my apartment, which I know is not filled with ants, just in case. Uh, we have a friend of the show, Mandy, uh, had an ant infestation in her house in California. And when the people that take care of ants, what are they called? Exterminators. Exterminators came. You see, I don't even have a, a grasp of language. The exterminators came out and she said, oh, so they all die. She probably didn't say that, but something like that. And they said, oh, no, we never can really kill all the ants. We're just pushing them out of your ha- house into someone else's. Yes. That's what exterminators do. What? Yeah. What kind of a detente is that? It's a Take them a down. One. Yeah, that's terrible. It's a terrible detente. You're exactly that's exactly how you put it, too. They're the worst. Oh, real quick, by the way, Joan, remember Joan Murray from before? Whatever happened in North Carolina? I forgot to mention. Did I mention that she just in a fun turn of events that she was a skydiver? No, I didn't. She was from the sky. I haven't said that. I just said that Joan worked at a Bank of America and she's a skydiver. Anyways, we'll get back to her in a second. Okay. Um, I did a little bit of research of where can the fear of ants actually come from. Mm -hmm. And there's very little uh, theory about it. Basically, just the basic, basically the basic of evolutionary roots. (laughs) Early humans had to sleep. Today, this is delightful. I'm doing great. I'm holding it together perfectly. I don't know what you're hearing. Anyways, uh, evolutionary roots, early humans had to sleep and eat in the open where jerk ants often bit them or contaminated their food. As a result, human brains realized that ants are the devil, the end. Whatever. Not a big help there. Fine. That doesn't help me. I did some other research about ants. Would you like to know about them? Yeah, sure. And again, this took a long time because of pictures. Here we go. Uh, Let's just get through this real quick. What are ants good for? They aerate the soil and improve improve soil drainage by making their little crawly death tunnels. Great. Who cares? No one cares. <laughs> they store a lot of food in their disgusting nest sites, which helps make the soil richer in nitrogen and phosphorus. Big whoop. Ants. No one likes you. Ants also disperse seeds, which help plants in competitive environments. Not good enough. Oh, and they also prey on pests. But unless they start just eating themselves, then they're ignoring the biggest pests there and ants can suck it. How's this going so far, Pete? You're doing great. Keep it going. Okay. Keep going. All right. Other facts. I got a couple more. I'm really going through these. An ant can lift 10 to 50 times its own body weight. That's not good news. (laughs) That's terrible news. And in one website, there was a zillion websites love to talk about this. Ant, so strong, so strong. Great. If they quote, if a second grader was as strong as an ant, she would be able to pick up a car. (laughs) That's terrible. That's terrible about ants. That's terrible about superhuman second graders. People are writing this and not realizing that ants will go for our eyes. Pete, ants don't have lungs. Good. Screw off, ants. They take in oxygen through their pure i think they just breathe on pure fear i don't know i don't care and then the last one and this is the real one that i think we should get into well we've already gotten into because you already said in the wall if you see one ant there's a zillion yeah that there is an estimated one million ants for every one human in the world oh god that is what how do you define epidemic how do you define <laughs> DEFCON, whatever is the worst DEFCON? <laughs> it's terrible. This isn't it. Uh, what else is there? What else is there? 
Like, okay, and I found a quote. Uh, etymologist Ted Schultz says that the ant's presence across the world is, quote, arguably the greatest success story in the history of terrestrial metazoa. Which is interesting because you know who can shut his dumb mouth? <laughs> Etymologist Ted Schultz. That's who because, hey, Ted, they're monsters. So stop building them up and pretending otherwise. Because, no, what are, I don't like them. They, they, they help our soil. They hurt termites. I don't care. I hate them so much. So, yes, still to this day, if I'm on a picnic or something, uh, I do a little roundabout like a dog trying to get comfortable to sleep. I look at the ground where I'm going to sit on, and then I sort of turn around and turn around and turn around just a couple times to make sure that there's none, because it doesn't take much to send me into a little bit of a frenzy. Eh, Frenzy's a little strong, but I just, I really am uncomfortable with them. We've talked a lot about anxiety that touches on things. It is not debilitating in the way that I can live my life, but it is, I don't sit on the ground without looking. I mean, it is something that is just there with me. And it's weird to talk about something where I think the vast majority will not be able to understand. And I get it. I get you can't understand. I can't understand a lot of other people's stuff. But this is my truckload of fajitas. Just being waited, <laughs> waiting to be found out, <laughs> just like that creeping anxiety that it's always there and no one's going to, everyone's going to read the story and be like, what? Yeah. He died from anxiety over ants. Yep. <laughs> it's might happen. Uh, it's not going to happen because I, because of Foster. Anyways, uh, I would like to tell you to finish the amazing story of Joan Murray. Man, oh, I'd love to. Yeah. Joan Murray. What do we know about her again? American works, bank executive, bank, skydiver, yeah, skydiver, North Carolina. On September 25th, 1999, she went on a skydive from a height of 14,500 feet. Her main parachute did not open. Oh, God. And as she was, uh, her backup parachute did open, but only around 700 feet. That's way too low. And so she started spinning and it quickly deflated. Uh, and she hit the ground at about 80 miles an hour. This is a not a great story. How does it relate to ants? She landed on a mound, a huge mound of fire ants. And this is real, Pete. You can look this up. And she's alive. Do you know why she's alive, Pete? Doctors believe that the shock of being stung over 300 times by the ants released a surge of adrenaline in her, which kept her heart beating. <laughs> She fell from the sky, hit the earth, and was bitten by so many fire ants that her body was like, this is so bad, this can't be the end. And she is alive today. She's doing great, Pete. <laughs> but I don't know if that's worth it. I mean, I, I, if I, I would never skydive, but if I did and then I fell into ants, I feel like if I... <laughs> If I ever took up skydiving, I would also, the one thing I'd pack is a gun with one bullet, just in case (laughs) I fell and I was like, ow, that hurt. And then I saw ants and I'd be like, well, it was a good run. (laughs) It was a good run. (laughs) Had some fun. This will make a fun podcast entry someday and goodbye. Uh, But I would like to submit Joan Murray for being the spirit animal of what's that smell? Because... (laughs) Let's see. Let's just count it off real quick. She's a bank manager. One, fear of bureaucracy. We've talked about that before. Number two, she's a skydiver. She has a fear of heights and a compulsion to jump. Number two, that's one of yours. And number three, with a bullet, ants all over her, keeping her alive. (laughs) 
I think I Joan Murray might be my absolute show. Oh my gosh. I want to print up buttons. I want to go to pod swag so far. And I would love listeners to let us know different right in. If you know someone different that carries more of our anxieties in one quick anecdote, but Joan Murray, what's the smell loves you. And we wish you the best and stop, stop skydiving and just live your life in bank of America because yeesh. <laughs> Look, mm-hmm. I need to talk to you about your wogging. Oh, okay. I know you didn't care for that phrase well, when I, I brought it up. I think that was just last episode, right? Yeah, well, I know. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, how often do you wog? How do you feel about your your uh, wogging? Your and, and and broader than that, your physical fitness uh, routines can always do better. I sometimes go through ebbs and flows, but when I'm on it, and I normally am, I have a good routine. I walk my dog a lot. We do go fast ish. And then I have, I do like circuit training at home and little things like that. I can always do more. I would like to lose more weight. Is that a good answer to your question? Yeah, it's a great answer. It's a great answer. But generally you feel good and comfortable when you're doing it. Doing the actual yeah, thing? doing the actual thing. I love walking my dog. I hate any other kind of exercise. Okay. All right. Like I feel good about it, but I don't feel good doing it. I don't think you're supposed to. It's, in, it's exercise, right? Well, that, not if you talk to some people. That's a different show. Right? People who love, oh. love the exercise. God, they're hooligans. There are ex- exercises. I talked to a guy this weekend uh, who says, you know what my ideal vacation is? I said, well, please do tell. What is your ideal vacation? I would love to go on an exercise vacation. I said, what is? <laughs> what? I Well, I felt like I know exactly what, what that, that is. That's like a, a crate of ding-dongs and uh, some Diet Coke and a whole lot of Netflix. Like, that's an exercise vacation. You're taking a vacation from exercise. He says, no, no, no. Oh, right. No, this is like a cruise. So let's set it up. You're on a cruise, which is a boat that you can't get off of. And the only events are exercise events. The only thing you do, there's no shows, there's no nothing, but you go and you exercise on a boat. There is nothing I don't know. It seems like it's going to be an exaggeration given the content of this show that I say this. There's nothing I would rather do less than uh, uh, yeah. as, as fun than an exercise vacation. So I needless like to say. It's a floating prison. Yeah, it is That's a floating <laughs> Exactly what it is. Now, I've talked to you about my issues with food. My, uh, my yes. Yes, sir. Food. The other side of that is my issue with exercise. I don't care for it. There's way mm-hmm. too much great TV to watch. So <laughs> so I just got back from this reunion with some friends, and I ridiculously agreed to join a plan in which three of us would each hit 500 running miles before the end of next year. So May, first week of May of next year. I got to run five, okay. 500 miles. <laughs> Good run 500 miles. There you go. 500 miles. Wow. And then I'll, I guess I'll run 500 more. <laughs> Just to be that be man. That man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, you know, you yeah. sometimes you ease into the joke. Anyway, that's 10 miles a week. 10 miles a week. <laughs> <laughs> 10 miles a week. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a lot? That seems like a lot. I mean, I walk miles with Foster, but walking and running is so different. No, that's terrible. Glad I broke that down for the audience. Yeah, no, no, no. Running is the terrible alternative to walking. (laughs) You, you actually, I mean, I agreed to it. I'm, I'm committed to it. And I, yesterday I did my first two miles. Now I haven't run in a long time and 
Okay. Here's the thing. I have bad feet. I have terrible ankles. I have to tell you, mm. when I was a uh, when I was a kid, I have two feet injuries that impact me greatly. The first one, I was a young guy. I was probably nine, and I took a flying leap off of some railroad ties on a on a steep downhill, and I popped my Achilles tendon. I ended up crawling for about six weeks. It was the worst. Ugh. Then in high school, on the same foot. I I had this little racket. Now, I'm, I'm going to apologize to every, anybody who's listening to this that I may have gone to high school with or the administrators who actually managed my high school. But there was a soda machine and I used to I had scrawny little arms because probably I didn't exercise <laughs> enough. And I sure. would reach up the soda machine and I would grab sodas right out of the out cans, right out of the, oh, the machine. And I would put oh, them in my Pete. backpack. And I would mm. uh, I would sell them on the bus. <laughs> oh, I like this now. Home. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Until, Entrepreneur. So there I am. I have my arm, you know, shoulder deep into this stupid pot machine and karma strikes. I hear a noise behind me. The bathroom door is opening and I freak out. So I rip my arm out of the soda machine scraping all the skin off the top of my off that my inner <laughs> forearm yeah yeah no that was horrible and then i run and jump and i jump down about 5 steps and i oh. land on the top of my tiptoes right on the top of my foot thus hyper extending my foot and ripping <sighs> all of the little tendons across the top of my foot as i land full weight onto my ah! extended foot oof Oof, oof, oof. And, okay, and that of course, all sounds terrible. It was not an administrator or faculty member of my high school. It was just another dope who was looking to get a soda machine after going to the No. Bar. It'd be best if it was the prettiest girl at school. <laughs> it would. That would make it a While you're story. just like while you're just like bleeding and covered in sprite. Yeah. Just like <laughs> rolling around. <laughs> Don't look at me. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, so I ended up in a cast for that for a long time. It turns out those little things oh, are man. really, really hard to fix and heal. And ever since then I've had feet issues. So here I am running my two miles, and I'm telling you, man, it was hard. Uh, it, it was really hard. And, uh, you know, as I get into it, then the heart starts pounding. Uh, please reference previous episode on cardiophobia. Uh, I was running right. in a new location and I got totally lost. I end up running in and out of this weird business complex. So there I am just sort of hobbling through people's <laughs> offices. Uh, and, and so I look ridiculous. I don't feel good about myself while I'm doing it. And and still, I know I gotta live long, right? I got kids, family. I want to have a nice, long, healthy life. I've got to figure out how to get over this. I I know I'm not going to. Um, I'm at this point where I, I'm not going to be able to get there by running alone. I have to I have to find a way to establish a, a regular fitness routine. But that means I I've got to I've got to get over how it feels and how I feel the world observes me. I have an issue an anxiety around exercise, particularly going to the gym. And oh, as it turns, sure. As it turns out, Tommy, you might be yeah. surprised to hear I'm not alone. <laughs> I am not no, alone. And as you can hear from my own, oh, that I can already, I definitely can hear what you're saying. Yes, yeah, that that right? makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and so there are a number of issues that, that come in, in with this, right? There's the fear of judgment. Uh, there's the the definitely an issue with body dysmorphia, right? I mean, I have this, I, I and even as a man, as a middle-aged man, I don't like going into the gym when it's a gym that is full of people who are, who just look great, 
right? They just look great. There's, there's giant, just like fit dudes, particularly at this point. Like, sure, there's guys who are younger than me who look great. Well, they deserve it, right? That's fine. They're young. They're strong. But when there are guys that are older than me that are hitting their sort of mid 50s, mid 60s, and they are just ripped. I'm starting to have some more significant anxiety about that. Like, how how the <laughs> okay. hell am I going to get there? Uh, and and so, so I don't. So like it's going to the gym. Partly judgment. So it's partly judgment and partly feeling like a little bit of hopelessness. Oh, totally. And then Got so it. that it's that fear of failure. So that's the second one, right? That go, comes in with with this Jim. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm calling it gym phobia. I couldn't find a word that encapsulated this, but there it is a a very well discussed sure. topic, right? And then there's fear yeah. of injury. The fact that I don't know how to use the equipment very well in this gym, and I'm I've never been much of a gym kid, so it's a skill set that I'm having to just kind of figure out on the way. And, and based on your past, you don't know how to use your own body terribly well. <laughs> like, give you a Sprite and some rail ties, and you're, like, hobbled up for weeks. Really? You're putting a, a fine point on it. I appreciate that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to just be helpful. <laughs> Uh, so this this, as it turns out, is a, is a big deal. Now, I, I should say there are some things that I do like about it. Like I get to listen to a lot of podcasts. Right. There are things I like mm -hmm. about that. But but in terms of, of knowing what I'm doing, I feel this this fear of of uh, the, the judgment, the judgmentalism that comes with with being in the gym. Uh, it's really hard to get over that. Right. And um uh, you know, you see all the, the advertisements are all the the afters. Right. It's all the people who who clearly overcame something to enjoy their experience in the gym and uh, sure uh, you know it's when you when you feel bad and you know that like if i'm going to enjoy running again i gotta lose some pounds right i gotta i've got to get back to uh you know a, a feeling where i'm feeling a little bit lighter on my knees lighter on the ankles uh sure and and that again goes back to food goes back to feeling uh, better about the food so the problem with gym anxiety is that it is it, it's this sort of self-conscious deflationary spiral right the more you feel it the more you try to get over it and put yourself in the physical space of the gym the more you feel just sort of dirty about it and and the less likely you are to stay uh and it's super intimidating and it's embarrassing and it can be super awkward especially if you don't know what you're doing and you don't know how to use the equipment and you pick up too much weight and then suddenly you can't lift it and you're like well now i picked up weight and there are people yep. who are walking around me and they're probably looking at me and watching me having picked up too much weight and now knowing not at all what to do with it because I can't lift it and I certainly can't put it down. I am stuck in this vortex of destruction yeah. and I yeah. am armed with like way too much weight. I'm a danger to myself and others. That is the, yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. just, you're terrible. a cautionary tale that yeah. they tell at the gym. <laughs> Non-example. Yeah. Absolutely Some nights not. you can still hear him trying to lift. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I started researching this and it turns out this is a very, very common thing. This sort of anxiety it keeps people I believe out of the it. gym. It, people like yeah. me who really have a reason to go and, and look at their family and are like, you know, I, I, I want to be here for them. And yet, uh, really, really struggle to actually get over the hump and actually do it. So, uh, I, I say that I led with this thing that I joined this uh, into this group of of running, you know, this 500 mile running agreement, because that actually is the first tool to get out from under this kind of gym anxiety is to pick people who are in your sort of state. 
right, who are yes. in the same sort of level of fitness and join them for some sort of activity. It doesn't have to be ser- terribly rigorous, but it turns out it's the community that's going to help you get past this. And that was a big deal. Well, it's he- it's healthy accountability. Yes. It's not a jerk. It's not a drill sergeant. Right. But it's someone that to do it on your own, I think that that's why they always say try to find a workout buddy. It's yeah. Because accountability is a really big part of it. Absolutely. Keeps you going back. If okay. you're going to feel like an idiot in the gym, it is much better to feel like an idiot with a buddy. <laughs> yep. Right. <laughs> Makes sense. But yeah. But the other, then it's fun. Yeah. But then the other side of that same coin is hire a trainer. Right. Is get with somebody even for one or two uh, sessions uh, with a trainer, if you can if you can afford it, uh, actually hire the drill sergeant, because walking into a gym uh, with somebody who does know exactly what they're doing, a partner, you know, not somebody who doesn't know anything about what they're doing, but the opposite of that can actually help you spread confidence because they're teaching you how to do it right. And once you know how to do it right, you eliminate a lot of that judgment because you know you're not you're not screwing it up. You're not you're not going to hurt yourself because you've you've been taught. And with uh, with learning comes um, you know comes a freedom from at least a little bit of that anxiety. Sure. And have you used a trainer before? I have. So my follow up question. Oh, I do have a follow up question. But should I wait? You tell me after I tell you the story. Oh, I have used a trainer and I really, really enjoyed my experience with my trainer. He was fantastic. And then I got a call from the gym uh, that said, you have a new trainer now because your trainer was arrested for abusing teenagers at the high school. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. I am not kidding you. And they told you that? Yes, they told me that. He's in jail and it was all over the news and it was a whole thing. And so then I didn't have a trainer. Okay, well, (laughs) you really put a pall over my follow-up question. (laughs) Um, Molestation aside... Uh, when you, <laughs> when you were with Molesty Magoo, uh, did you feel, did some of the, um, fear of judgment or self-consciousness go away? Because did that give you in your mind, at least a passive, even if I don't know what I'm doing, it's okay because people can see that I'm being taught. Absolutely. Did that make any difference? It okay. really did. It gave me a sense of Good. confidence that I was in the right place with the right person. So you might yeah. want to, you might want to know, Tommy, did I get another trainer? Yeah. Did you? I did. He actually ended up being an underwear model on the side. And uh, they just did. This was one that was assigned to me. Right. Here's a trainer. That didn't help me as much um, because, you know, just working out with him reminded me of just how far I had to go. Uh, And he was just in his underwear. Right. All the time. He was just in his (laughs) underwear. All the time. Yeah. Always be modeling. I will tell you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I will tell you that didn't end all that well either, Tommy, because oh. uh, unfortunately, and I can say this not as a joke, but because he's OK now, uh, he got cancer and had to quit training. And so okay. I lost my second trainer uh, in a row, all within about six months. So, OK, at some Pete, real quick, when the entire class fails, at some point <laughs> we start looking at the teacher. Are you maybe doing something to all of these trainers? In six months, you've destroyed two people's lives. Do you think maybe you had a hand in that? You start to wonder. Just keep this. Yeah. we've. It feels maybe like we've gone far afield from the anxiety. But let me tell you. Sorry. Yeah. Losing these two trainers all at once does not help the gym anxiety. It does not help you g- increase your confidence in going in by yourself. And, and no, you want your routine. That's you right. want your champion. You want all of these things. That's got to be. That's 
not what I would wish on anyone who has gym anxiety. I'm That's sorry right. that you have to go That's through right. that. So I, I instead, I start looking up, you know, strategies. I start trying to figure out how to get to the other side of this. By now, I have some skills in the gym where I feel like I, I know what to do with enough of the things, the implements there to actually make a workout for myself, download an app. You know, I love having guidance and routine to these things. I love having something, if it's not a trainer, something tell me what to do. So I, you know, I buy an app that has comes with some sort of a training regimen. But the trick about the anxiety was doing it in a way that uh, I, I could alleviate some of that judgment. And so I ended up uh, going to our park and rec uh, which is not a, an official like gym, and yet it still has all of the equipment, but nobody uses it because they all go to the oh, fancy gym. So sure. every time I go in there, it's just plumb empty and these beautiful, and I can actually work out alone. Perfect. And that was, that is actually, I'm. it's not just my story. It is a recommended strategy for getting over gym anxiety is to go when no one else is there. That may mean a quick workout right before everything closes at night. It may mean a very early morning workout right when it opens. It may mean finding a dive gym that nobody uses uh, because it's just out of the way but you can still lift heavy things. So that is interesting. It, it really is. That is so that's the opposite of so many of the suggestions we've gotten for most of our anxieties. What many of which have come down to exposure therapy instead, yes. meaning force yourself through it. Instead, they're saying embrace it and just take care of yourself. Yeah. Still do what you need to do, but then go early, go late, whatever that is. That's Interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting different way. The yeah. thing I hate the most is that all of these, you know, pro fitness like therapy articles are all about you should just have confidence. Just go <laughs> have confidence. And I want to say you unholy ass. That is not something su <laughs> suffering from anxiety can just do. And it makes me insane. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that is a that it, it's OK if you read these articles, if you're surfing for issues, it's OK to get mad when somebody just tells you to have confidence. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, you should also stop reading unholyass.com. <laughs> you should get a you should get a different blog. But you should yeah. totally get a different blog. <laughs> and yeah. I would also say based off of not necessarily anything is. That is one great way to do it. And I think that that should be very much applauded. If you're not able to go early or late or find a gym that's a dive or anything like that. One thing that I've reminded myself just when back when I was in a gym, I haven't I, since I moved, uh, I haven't joined a new one. But you describe the gym that you walk into the fancy gym uh, mm -hmm. as a gym full of people that all look great. Yes. There's a really good chance, and it's just worth looking around once for people that are still dealing with this. You're probably not seeing the other yous. Yes. There's probably a lot of other yous there, but your eyes, you know, just sort of breeze over them, and you're seeing all of the crazy people like grunting and like looking at themselves in the mirror and saying things like, Yes, <laughs> I've made a body choice, <laughs> and things like that. That uh, a lot of people don't notice that. And as a result, a lot of people probably aren't noticing you. You're yes. noticing the jacked people. Gyms want people, jacked people in there. That's their, you know, that's sort of their brand. But uh, there's probably a lot of people that are having the same feelings that you are that also aren't noticing you. That's the point. The idea of that a whole bunch of people are staring at you and it's everyone looking at me. You're probably in the exact same pile as a lot of people. And you're all just looking at creepy Dave 
who well, like, has a shirt made of other people's skin and he's just like doing pull-ups or something. Well, so I mean, if just, that can help. Yes, yeah. it does help. And I'll tell you, it's, it's uh, the, the other piece to that. The other side of that coin is when you look around the room and, you, and all you see are the people that allow you to are fodder for you judging yourself. Yeah. That is that is the dark side of body dysmorphia, right? The other side of just not liking how right. you look. But the truth of the matter is, is probably closer to you don't look a whole lot different than anybody else in the gym. And you your body your mind is telling you something that just is probably not as true as your heart is believing that it is. And so that's an important reminder is to just stop and say, okay, you know what? We're all lifting heavy things. Nobody else cares. And I just need to put the headphones on and do my do my business and and then get out of there. That's not a bad strategy for overall life. Right. We are all lifting heavy things. No one cares. <laughs> no one cares. You Put alone. on your earphones, get through it, and, <laughs> and just worry about the important stuff. And do your business. <laughs> That's like right. That. Of and do your business. Yeah. <laughs> I think cares. that in addition to all of this, the best, you should treat a new gym like a prison. <laughs> In that when you go in for the first time, you should find the most overbuilt, strongest person and hit them in the face with a dumbbell. And then everyone looks at you different. <laughs> no one thinks that you have trouble with doing a sit-up. Everyone's like, he's probably just doing something cool. <laughs> and you know what? Prison gyms. If you, yeah. if you don't know how to get started on that program, start embezzling fajitas and go right to prison. Then you'll have no trouble getting jacked in a hurry. It all comes together. We're really inceptioning this entire thing. It all comes back to fajitas. <laughs> Stick around for a glimpse into next week's show. But first... Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial to sample the service at www.audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your digital media player, your iPhone, your Android device, the works, all at audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Tommy, mm. what are you listening to right now? I am actually listening to uh, a book that I listen to every either read or listen to every year or two. It's one of my favorite books of all time. It doesn't exactly relate to ants, but it does involve things that I that are alive and I do care about. Unlike ants, it is Animal Farm by George Orwell. Animal Farm by George Orwell. It talks. It's sort of a great book, kind of like 1984, depending on your politics, to read if you're ever feeling anxious about how politics are going, how certain societies can maybe break down or fascism can rise up in front of you when you're not even looking. Do you want to feel more of that? Read Animal Farm by George Orwell. <laughs> it is a magnificent book. It's only about three hours long. It's not a really long book to hear, but it is valuable and it is incredible and i love that book how about you Pete? you know uh, i as I, as you know i love me some audible and i get the books all the mm -hmm. time and i actually right now am in the middle of the uh, expanse series 
which is ironically what? politics in space. And I oh. adore these books. They are by James S.A. Corey. James S.A. Corey is actually uh, not a real person. Uh, and one of the things I love so much about the series is that it was originally developed by this group of guys who were making a uh, game, like a, I, as far as I understand, a tabletop game like D&D, and they couldn't get it mm. published. And so they made a book out of it. And now it's a whole series of a massive series of books. There are like seven of them. They're all crazy long. And uh, it is a, a <laughs> wonderful series uh, to jump into. Of course, they're in uh, just launched season three of The Expanse on Sci-Fi, uh, which is also a Ooh. terrific, terrific show. Uh, so it's totally worth it. And I've been thinking about you because I was, you know, you always have your thing about how long audiobooks are. You know, I don't know if you know this. Yeah. You have a thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the other book that we're going through right now that my daughter is blazing through, uh, the Brandon Sanderson books. Uh, Words of Radiance, Ooh. the Stormlight Archive, right? This book, all the Expanse books are around 20 hours long, right? So they're significant Oof. investments. This this book here, this Brandon Sanderson, the Stormlight book, one credit. one cre You could get this book for free, 45 hours and 37 minutes. Book two, 48 hours and 12 minutes. Book three, 55 <laughs> hours and four minutes. That's Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. And there's more where that came from. Good Lord, man. Go get yourself wow. some Audible. That Absolutely. Is, in get terms it. of bang for your Audible book, your your buck, your Audible buck, there's some Audible book, books. book buck. Beefy books. Yeah. Beefy books for your Audible book buck. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I would say just die, get a second mortgage and just dive in. <laughs> for you, the listeners. Thanks, Audible. Of What's That Smell, <laughs> Audible is offering you this free audiobook, the 55-hour audiobook. Get this book. You get it for free with your 30-day trial. And you know what you get with this 30-day trial, right? You can go listen to the samples of every one of the 180,000 titles. So mm. that's, uh, uh, I don't know, a million years uh, of, yeah. of time that you could actually be listening to five minutes of every single book that's ever been produced as an audiobook. So try that, uh, and you can do that. You get started at www.audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Free gigantic book and a million years of small, small entertainment. Fan, sounds fantastic. I think that is an official What's That Smell action item for all of our What's That Smell heads. Go listen to all of the samples on audible.com and then uh, you will wake up in a hospital. Hey guys, apart from Audible, we don't pay to advertise this show. So of course, as we've said before, we really appreciate you sharing it with others you think would be interested. We're a new show. So those five star reviews and iTunes and Apple podcasts really, really help. Again, if it'll take you four minutes and it means the world to us in this podcast so if you like what you've heard and you'd like to hear us keep going uh, we would love for you to share it with friends and give us a review and a comment coming up next week you think a podcast is going to keep me from wearing my favorite damn pants no way I feel like when we compare anxieties you're dealing with like being buried I don't know I feel like such an idiot but either way yeah I don't like going to the bathroom in front of people. Sorry, I love going to the bathroom. Probably Tommy P's a lot or something, right? Ugh, why would I say that? Why would I bring up my nickname from college? Anyways. Thank you all for joining us today. Today's tune is Trip the Light by Vikings in Tibet. Mm, trip the Light. Until next week, I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz Third. Thank you so much for downloading. We'll be back next week on What Is That Smell?